Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're talking about Bullet Train, the new action comedy from Deadpool 2 director David Leitch. Leitch? Leitch? Leitch, David Leitch. Uh, we're also talking about Prey, the Predator follow-up film on Hulu from director David Tri- Daniel Trackman? David Trackman. It's fine. Uh, we're talking about Prey. We're going to talk about HBO and Discovery Plus. We need to talk about HBO and Discovery Plus and HBO Max. I know this is a film podcast, but they got an awful lot of good movies on HBO. We're going to keep up with what's happening in our Death of Cinema segment in the middle of the show. We'll talk about it a little bit here in the opening with the news, but not our first story, because our first story this week is about Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider, you say? What's going What's <laughs> going on with America's favorite video game film franchise? Well, MGM has lost the rights to Tomb Raider, and Alicia Vikander is no longer attached to the property as Laura Croft. In free fall, Andy, some would say this franchise is. Uh, what do you think? Um. Well... IP is the big hot thing right now in Hollywood, and so everyone's snatching them up. MGM had nine years, has had this property for nine years, and has made all of one movie. Um, they were supposed to make a sequel to the uh, 2017 uh, or 2018 version, but uh, the pandemic uh, really stopped that uh, them from moving forward on a sequel, and now they've lost the rights, and so now it's a, a feeding frenzy. Everyone in Hollywood wants... A recognizable property so all the studios in town are you know it's like in a bidding war yes. which makes a lot of sense since recognizable ip is kind of a sure bet yeah uh tomb raider i think is maybe like a, a kind of smaller or maybe middle example of like how properties move around in hollywood largely nowadays it's all about what studio owns them and what they can make out of them and sometimes people will get something and sit on it we're kind of seeing this now with disney and x-men that they acquired from 20th century fox they're not really doing anything uh they've used a couple of characters in recent marvel projects briefly as kind of fun easter eggs that's really it and as far as we know they're not going to be doing anything major till 2025 uh tomb raider is not obviously as hot as x-men as far as the cinema is concerned but it's a pretty big video game property and interestingly enough square enix the company that currently owns the video game rights to tomb raider that sold them to mgm in 2011 is also looking to sell the video game franchise which is Mm. weird uh it's a bummer that alicia vikander's not still starring i thought she was good i didn't love the film we reviewed it here on the show also starring walton goggins and i don't know a couple other people I was, you know, the movie's fine. I thought she was good. I thought maybe they would make something better. Uh, Andy, who's who's the next Tomb Raider? You got any? You got any oh, context? that was. Uh, oh, you, we talked about this did. like a couple. Yeah, weeks we talked ago, about this the other day. I, we, I was we, at a wedding and I was drinking. And I don't someone know, I someone said Anya Taylor Joy, which is is not exactly right. Like she's, but you needed <laughs> that was you needed, me. I was I was at a wedding. I was drinking. Yeah. <laughs> no, ATJ is just she's too like I feel like she's it. too small small and petite. Like you you need. Someone who's a little more athletic, I think. Um, yeah. And I, but but we need someone of that, like you know, a young come up and comer. Uh, Florence Pugh was was someone that was named. You know who? Um, you know who'd be great? Uh, that Amber Mid Thunder from Prey. Uh, I hear she's pretty good. <laughs> she, it could she might, be. She might have the smoke. I don't know. Could be. I actually watched some of the uh, original. Uh, Tomb Raider from the like the 2001 Angelina Jolie version. It was on on the other day. In, in I tell you, Jolie has in. screen presence in those films. I Absolute, don't like the movies, absolutely, but she, like, like she, de- you definitely pay attention to what she's got going on. It's not just because she looks great. Like she's got the ponytail and the cheekbones. Like she's she's well, hard, she could man. do it all. Like like she she had the look. She could do the stunts. She could do the action. She had attitude. Like yes, 
Yeah, really. Yeah, tremendous. It, it was. It's funny because that like that movie is just like it's of another era completely now. Um, Daniel Craig is actually in that surprisingly, which is funny. God, he is, isn't he? That's right. Is he like the fake out bad guy or something? He yeah, something. A something boyfriend like or something in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, 007 himself in <laughs> Tomb Raider. Playing uh, second next... fiddle to Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Uh, if you have any ideas on who might be a good Tomb Raider, write into the show, would you? Share, share with us, because there's, there's a lot of great up-and-comers right now, some fantastic actresses, and we... Uh, wouldn't mind hearing about it. Next up, uh, HBO Max and Discovery Plus to merge into a single streaming platform starting in summer 2023. I know we said we're going to talk about this in our Death of Cinema segment, and we are. But it also, it was kind of a light couple of news weeks, so we figured, you know, we got to at least mention this at the top. Uh, Andy, what the hell's going on? Well, back when Warner Brothers was sold off from AT&T, so there's a whole lot of things changing hands. AT&T used to own Warner Brothers or Warner Media, they sold it off because it's expensive. The streaming business is expensive. It was bought by Discovery, and it's merged, and now it's Warner Brothers Discovery. That's the, that's the name of the company, and that will be maybe the name of the service, but they're going to combine because they both have streaming services. There's Discovery Plus and HBO Max, and in 2023, it's going to combine into some giant, terrible thing <laughs> full, full of reality tv and maybe prestige tv it's hard to know exactly what but that's coming 2023 summer i'm i'm so i feel like discovery fans probably see this as maybe a bit of a win uh and hbo fans see this as like a huge tremendous loss um, to me it feels like discovery represents uh like Every everything that that cable TV more has morphed into in the last two decades since like the rise and 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 continued success of streaming media, and and to see it like backstab its way up the ladder into the conversation by like grabbing HBO Max, a premier service with some of the best film and television offerings available on the internet and dragging it down <laughs> to cable TV's level at their $6.99 streaming service price. I just don't like it. I don't like it. I love HBO Max. It's probably my favorite. And I love that when I get on HBO Max, I don't have to see a single bit of reality TV content. Discovery Max is like exclusively reality TV content. And the fact that they're going to rip off HBO's skin and wear it like a freaking face mask, like... <laughs> While they advertise Property Brothers, doesn't sound good to me. Like I don't like that. I hope I I really hope it is sectioned off. I hope there's an option to not have Discovery Plus. Like don't don't come for my MTV. Don't come for my HBO. You know what I mean? The MTV joke was silly, but like yeah. I, anyway, sorry. That's my bit. We'll get I'll get more into it at the cinema. But Andy, what do you think about this? We don't really know exactly what this is going to look like. We just know that both of the streaming services are going to be combined into one. We don't know if that's going to be like 50-50 or if one will be dominant over the other. We don't know. And we don't also know what the price point is going to be. It's a very important detail no one's talking about yet. Um, currently, HBO Max is $15, and I think Discovery Plus is $5. So who knows exactly where that's going to land. But this kind of points to a, a big difference in as we are emerging from the pandemic, there's a big shift in studios getting back to focusing on filmmaking and less on their streaming services in general. And this is just happening to HBO. Yeah, um, I'm 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 skeptical about this, and I think a lot of our listeners probably are too. Uh, I 
I don't know how they're going to price this. Yeah, and Andy's right. Like, like with with ads or without ads, I should say, uh, HBO Max is fifteen a month right now, and Discovery Plus without ads is seven. So even if you like put those together at a deal, I mean, and knocked a couple bucks off, that's tw- you're looking at like a twenty dollars service. I mean, they'd have to come in with some kind of bargain rate, or maybe just put ads up front, like to to try to make up for the cost and content. Um, the two services together have been doing well. It's worth mentioning uh, collectively. They did have a uh, one twenty uh, 22% gain in now. Hold on. I don't know. They gained subscribers over the last couple of years. That's what I'm saying. I, I then look, the numbers don't matter. What matters is <laughs> I, I don't like that. I don't like that. HBO max might get gutted for, for discovery plus, but you're right. But we'll this is going to be yeah. w- one of the big, bigger streaming services. They're going to be at, 80, 90 million, something like that. And that's yeah. combined. And that's everything. That's HBO subscribers, HBO Max subscribers, and like a Disney, uh, Discovery Plus. Mm. We'll get into more after Bullet Train. Uh, speaking of Bullet Train, our last story this week from the box office, Bullet Train books a $30.1 million box office opening. I'm going to say that feels pretty all right. Right, Andy? That's not bad. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's on track for what it was uh, trying to make. It hit the target. It, you know, it's a late summer uh, action comedy. Um, all the big tent poles have come out. You know, Thor, Jurassic Park, Top Gun Maverick somehow still in theaters. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. Uh, but, but yeah, Bullet Train uh, did fine. Uh, topping the weekend easily. That was followed by DC League of Super, Super Pets, Nope, Thor Love and Thunder, Minions Rise of Gru, and I did want to mention Top Gun Maverick coming in at number six. Still out there making money. 11 weeks in its uh, run. Uh, am I reading this correctly? Did Super Pets only make $11.2 million? I guess that's good for an animated film. I mean... The second week. Second, that's what I thought. I was like, I didn't, I wasn't sure if it came out this week or not. All right, well, great, good for Super Pets, and yeah, fine for Bullet Train. Uh, watching the ads for this one, I definitely felt like this was a, you know, middling action feature going into it, uh, and 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 review shortly. But for what it's worth, seeing the ads for it, it felt, you know, all right, felt fine. Didn't feel like anything particularly large, you know, and and it's it appears to be a bottle film, all shot in a train. Sure, like I, I figured this is going to be like a B plus action movie you know it's gonna be fine uh it's gonna make some good money and it looks like that's exactly how audiences felt too you know like it just i don't know yeah summer's over things are winding down this thing comes out in august why not right maybe some of us can go see bullet train that's that's not such a bad rap but andy how'd you feel going in um i was optimistic you know it's uh like i said action comedy looks like it's gonna be uh, a lot of fun um, we'll talk about that in a minute. Some other box office highlights. Um, Thor Love and Thunder uh, passes $700 million, um, which is... Uh, I, something, someone was pointing out this about Thor, that uh, this movie was more expensive than the last one, and this movie is not getting a release in China like the last one. So it's doing really well, considering it has some obstacles that the previous movie did not have um, some other highlights. Elvis hits uh, 250 million worldwide. That's a huge uh, win for that. And the Black Phone co- bringing coming in just under 150 million globally on an 18 million dollar budget. So that that's a certified hit. Yeah, Scott Derrickson's gonna have work at him for sure. Uh, why didn't Thor Ragnarok come out in China? Are they uh, late release most, or like are there no mostly no, like, uh, a lot of pandemic. No, a lot of pandemic closures um, have closed a lot. Most of the cinemas are, are closed, and they're just not really letting in 
American films, foreign films in in mm. general. I didn't know so about that. N- okay. nothing is really getting uh, a Chinese release, and and if it does, it's very small and not super impactful. No, oh, all right. Well, hey, keep it here for keep it on off script for more global box office news. Uh, with that, we should move into our review of the titular Bullet Train. I'm going to be taking the summary on this one, so please excuse any clumsy delivery of mine. The movie is Bullet Train. <laughs> So Bullet Train is the story of Ladybug, a older uh, and a little bit weary assassin hitman kind of kind of, kind of character played by Brad Pitt. He is in Tokyo and he is looking to take, take up a new job to get back into the game. He's he's feeling zen. He's been to therapy and uh, he hops aboard a bullet train to pick up a silver briefcase with a with a sticker on the handle and get off the train at the next stop. Very easy. He's got a handler on the phone he talks to, played by the uh, beautiful Sandra Bullock. And uh, he pops on the train, and he gets this case, and he starts working his way through the cars. But then he discovers that he's not the only assassin on this train, merely one of five, along with other individuals who all have their own plots, motive, characters, discourse, sense of humor, <laughs> weapons. Everybody's everybody's got stuff going on. And, 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 it, and it's aboard this bullet train that we begin to have this kind of almost Guy Ritchie, uh, Tarantino-esque crime caper <laughs> with action and comedy uh, and, 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 and a little bit of fast-moving bullet train. And, and that's, that's bullet train. Uh, in its best moments, it is, like I said, a little bit like, a bit like a Guy Ritchie movie. Uh, in its worst moments, yeah, some of the jokes fall flat, but I'm excited to talk about it. Andy, what did you think of bullet train? Um, it was all right. Uh, it has some good moments. It has some a lot of things that don't work. Um, I, I, for some reason, was really, really bored in this movie, particularly in the middle. It, it has a long, long second act. It's it's a full two hours, and uh, I remember the first after about the first hour, I was like, oh, this must be nearing the end, and I realized it had a whole other hour left. Um, it's there's too much talking. There's not enough action. Uh, and the comedy is hit and miss. Some there are some good jokes, there are some funny moments, and then there's a whole lot of jokes that don't land and aren't funny uh, to anyone. And I was in a you know a half full theater, um, but a lot of people are liking this movie. It's it's gotten a fairly positive reception. I know a few people have seen it, really enjoyed it, and so that that's really great. Yeah, if people are getting enjoyment out of out of cinema, I never want to take away from that. I didn't uh, really like it that much, and I thought it was a big rip off of a lot of Quentin Tarantino and Guy Ritchie films of the nineties. I, I do think at this point though, those films are 25, 30 years old almost. Um, so there is a generation or two that, that may not have seen those may not in, I'm talking about things like Pulp Fiction, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, The Gentleman, even uh, this movie borrows a lot from action films that came before it. Uh, and it doesn't really do it much better. Don't don't sugarcoat it for us, Andy. Tell us how you really feel. No, I I okay. First off, I I mostly agree. I, I thought this movie was good. I thought it was fine. I you know it's not bad by any means, but it, it doesn't. It rarely does anything to like rise above uh, what other films in the genre have done better in the past. Uh, I, but I do appreciate that it's here. That's the thing. Uh, it, it is a one-off action film. It's 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 based on a book. It's not based on a prequel. It doesn't have a sequel. It's not some superhero film. Like it's its own little thing. 
Uh, it's got a small cast of characters uh, who are all pretty good in the movie. Uh, and, and I like that it, you know, it doesn't over... Well, I say two hours, it does overstay its welcome a bit. But I do like that it's here. Like, I, I, I like little one-off action comedies like this, you know? Uh, this reminded me of Bad Times at the El Royale, which was a lot of fun. This reminds me of, yeah, like a Guy Ritchie flick. The, the guy I went and saw said it, with it, it almost reminds him a little bit of, like, Knives Out. Like, just kind of a, a character-driven caper with a bunch of, like, you know, individual actors with unique silhouettes who will all have their own backstories and ultimately have some violence and some action and that stuff works well uh, director david leach leach is coming from deadpool 2 that's his last film uh he is is definitely an action oriented individual and he leans on a lot of his contacts in the industry namely brad pitt to uh it's kind of spearhead this film i was surprised at the cast uh, who show showing up in this film we had brad pitt as our main hitman, Ladybug. We've got Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry as these two hitmen named Lemon and Tangerine. Uh, kind of a comedy duo who were prob probably the best in the film. Those those two are a lot of fun, I think. Uh, young Joey King as a character called The Prince. Um, Michael Shannon is in this movie. Uh, and a couple other names. Uh, Bad Bunny was one that you... <laughs> I don't... Bad Bunny. I don't know who that is. I've heard the name on TikTok, I think, but I, 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 mean, he, I guess he's, he's one of like great, the, the big, big, yeah, biggest selling artists right now. Yes. Uh, he's in this movie. A couple other small uh, roles from people who were in other things like Deadpool too. Um, for the most part, I, I, I like what's going on here. Like I, I like the script. It's a lot of laughs. I, I like the action. I like the sets. Um, the problem is I think it's a little too long. And a lot of the ratings is not, it's not quite as funny as it needs to be. So while like it holds up the action end pretty good, it's pacing and, and a script that's not quite as punchy as it should have been, uh, drags it down. It's currently got like a 54 on Rotten, one of those movies where critics are like one way or the other. You either like it or you don't. And I think the people that like it, like it for its tone and like it for its you know, the, the elements that it lifts and pays tribute to from older action films. The people who don't like it see it for what it is, which is, you know, a yeah, middle-of-the-road popcorn flick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, it's, it, yeah, it's got a, a B-plus cinema score, which I think is, you know, that's yeah. regular audiences. And that's, yeah. like I said, regular audiences are, are really enjoying it. And I, I think that that's always a, a good thing, even if it wasn't my, particularly my, my cup of tea. I, I think it's one of these things that it's, it's less less than the sum of its parts because um, it has all all the elements of what should be a really great action movie it's got you got brad pitt as your star you got assassins you got you know hand-to-hand -hand combat you you got uh you know a lot of style you know like i said from quentin tarantino-esque or guy ritchie-esque um but it just <laughs> it doesn't really work yeah. I, don't, I don't i don't think doesn't really deliver as much as it as it could I agree. Little, little less than the sum of its parts. So let's get into the parts because that's that's an important part of what we do here. Uh, what works about this movie? Let's start with the positives. I think. Like I no, said, uh, I think that I think that. <laughs> so some of the uh, some of the characters work better than others. Yes. Uh, probably the two best characters, definitely not Brad Brad Pitt. He he's a bit of a weak protagonist. But uh, Lemon and Tangerine, played by Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry, are kind of a, a duo. They're brothers. <laughs> and they're an assassin duo and they've worked together for a long time and they have, you know, strong Cockney accents um, right out of a Guy Ritchie films. And uh, they're really funny. They have good banter. They they kind of nip at each other and they have good conversations with 
the other people they run into on the train they're a highlight uh, of the film definitely my my favorite part uh there's other people that everyone else is kind of forget but <laughs> unfortunately bad bad bunny is he's good but he's he's not in the film for very long so that i was kind of upset by that i was hoping to see more of him um sure. who, who else stands out to you uh, so if you're looking, if you're watching on Facebook live, you can see we've got the live stream up and we've got the poster on and I can put it up a little bit bigger right here just cause I, I think it's worth digging into. Like the poster is really everybody you've got in the movie, like in order of importance and quality, <laughs> like, you've got Brad Pitt up front. You got Aaron Taylor Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry in the second row, right behind him. Following that, you've got four more characters who are a bit smaller and aren't quite as important. And then three characters at the back who are relatively important, but kind of forgettable uh the problem i think the biggest problem with these characters is that some work like andy said and some don't and and namely brad pitt doesn't really work in this movie it's a shame right like how do you how do you make a movie that brad pitt doesn't work in especially because he's worked with david leach on a number of features uh believe it or not david leach was his stunt double for years on movies like fight club um had to be in shape for fight club so these two these two are tight all right they, they are good buddies uh the, Dave Leach is also the reason Brad Pitt had a guest role in Deadpool 2. Um, so they get along great. But I think the character of Ladybug is doing this like Zen thing where he's like, peace and love, baby. We're going to solve everything through like peace. And like it's Pitt, the reformed hitman. Yes. And like Pitt doesn't quite land it like his his delivery and what he's doing with the character doesn't quite get over the line like it at times i felt like he was supposed to almost be like the dude in the big lebowski but like he, he does too much energy and he's too manic to be the dude right so he can't be that laid back but i it doesn't really work the other way around like if you've got you've got you know somebody who's trying to be like nice and cool but is kind of a manic individual like it just comes off feeling i don't know like they, they, they feel out of touch with the audience meanwhile like Aaron Taylor Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry's Lemon and Tangerine, they're, they're, they're kind of a pair of hitmen. Like, these two are uniquely grounded, and they start the film uh, at a huge disadvantage. They're, they're having to find something that Brad Pitt has, has acquired. Uh, so the two of them are, like, already on the struggle bus just trying to get by, like two guys who are just having a bad day, whereas Brad Pitt is, like, this whole something, and it doesn't really work. And it's like, so your protagonist is weak, and, and following that, like, too many characters leads to a little too much screen time, I think. It's not that they have too many. It's that they spend too much time with each one. Bad, Bad Bunny gets an intro. His character has a character intro. That's like four minutes too long. And and it sounds silly, but like when when the intro should have been 90 seconds and it ends up being like five or six minutes, it, it just like you, you just feel the weight of it, you know? And Andy was exactly right. Like I I didn't quite check my watch in this tra in this film, but there were parts where you just feel like okay, this should have been this should have had another pass in the editing room. This script needed a red pen one more time, you know, just a little bit of tune up. Uh, something I did like about this film is the action. Uh, a lot of the action scenes are really good, and there's some really creative camera work inside of what's obviously a very close set on a green screen soundstage somewhere. Like the bullet well, train some, is shot. Go ahead. Some of the action. I, I think is like a lot of the stuff on the train, like a lot of the hand to hand co combat and some of the uh, kind of, cause they're after this case. Right. And you know, there's a big, like the case changes hands several times and what's in the case kind of gets swapped out and that, that sort of thing. And there's other, there, there's a whole lot of MacGuffins like that, uh, that are also run running around the train, changing hands. <laughs> yeah. uh, but anything, a lot of the stuff outside the train looks terrible because it's, 
you know, it has to all be done oh, through CGI, yeah. and it's yes, it's just rough. like I do not believe for a second they were they were in another country filming any of this movie. Like, uh, I, they were in Japan filming any of this movie. Like, they probably shot this at a soundstage in London or something. Um, it 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 definitely leans on CGI when they're not in the dream. <laughs> <laughs> but the stuff in the train works good. Like I, I think, and, and I don't mind movies like that, right? Like I, I don't mind a, a good drama that's like set on a plane, a bottle feature as they call it. And I think bullet train does a pretty good job of hanging, you know, I'm reminded of movies like, I don't know, Jodie Foster's flight plan or Wes Craven's red eye or Snowpiercer from Bong Joon-ho, right? Like same kind of idea. Like those movies can totally work, um, but it's a challenge. And, and the, the stress of some of the action is is challenging to believe. There's a couple of action scenes in the quiet car where <laughs> two characters are pounding on each other in a car full of people that are all being silent, and the idea is nobody can hear them. And it's like this is this is that's ridiculous. Like, come on, like, yeah, yeah, like the the momentum of the action doesn't match like the setting of the scene. And I'm, I don't know if that was supposed to be a dig at comedy, but it just feels like bad editing. Because it's like it doesn't it doesn't come together the way it's supposed to be, and I feel like a lot of the jokes in this movie land that way. They just don't quite they don't quite get over the hump. Some of them do. I definitely laughed. I I, I want to say like there's definitely some laughs in this feature. Like I, I had a, more than a few chuckles. Uh, I I enjoyed eating my popcorn and watching Bullet Train, but like yeah, if you look at it with any kind of magnifying glass, it it is not. It just it just it, comes it, off weaker it, than it should. It also just just needs to be tighter. Like we need to get to that third act when they're. Because they're all kind of barreling towards a destination that it seems everyone on board is going to be doomed, no matter what side you're you're on, and that's kind of where the third act starts. And we need just need to get there sooner. It takes so long. Yeah, uh, and it's got a to get you're, there. You're absolutely right, and it's got an issue in in writing as well with uh, with spoon feeding the audience. Uh, typically, a feature like this, especially if you're going to compare it to something like Tarantino. Tarantino will have elements that aren't revealed to you until later in the film, right? A movie like Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction uh, will have uh, elements like, I don't know, the briefcase in Pulp Fiction or uh, Mr. Orange's motivation in Reservoir Dogs. Like, you won't find that out until later. But Bullet Train will kind of give it to you early and then remind you over the course of the film, like, hey, remember what was going on with this character? You remember when we told you this, right? This will be important later. And then later in the movie, like, hey, remember when we said this? And this is simply done. It'll be through, you know, flashes or like quick pan of the camera to a character or like, a, you know, a flash in somebody's head to a flashback of a moment earlier on the train that we already saw. But at times it starts to feel ham fisted and it kind of clogs a lot of scenes because they'll often be cutting back to other things we saw previously like a like a rigged handgun or or at one point in the film a snake escapes a cage and is free on the train and i swear over like the next 90 minutes of the film they cut back to that snake like 13 14 times like just in between scenes it'll just cut to a snake oh, like no. on the ground and where, we're like where we is know. it going we know there's a snake on the train <laughs> like we nobody forgot that you know but it feels like the studio came in and told them, hey, you, this is too confusing. You have to make this more obvious. Or maybe, I don't know, they got spooked in the editing room. Yeah, there's a number. Like I said, there's a number of MacGuffins. The snake is one. The case is one. Uh, there's a couple of firearms on the train. There's a bomb on the train. There's, uh, you know, some other. <laughs> there's some water that's been drugged with sleeping pills on the train. And this is all things that are floating around changing hands some people know what they are some <laughs> right. people don't yeah. and it's just uh, it's it's a, a few too many uh, yeah. of that that is well which uh, the the plot is 
way overly complicated. Like all these, all these people are somehow, there's like 10 of them on the train. They're all interconnected somehow. They'll have complicated backstories and it's just too much. And again, you can have a lot of people because again, that's when, if you look back at those Guy Ritchie films, Lockstock or Snatch, they, they have like 20 colorfully named gangsters and that's what this is taking from. But it just, it just doesn't flow very well or just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it uh, it just doesn't quite it doesn't quite do what what those other movies do so well, which is take all of these errant manic elements of characters and weapons and settings and like bring them together into this like kind of beautiful dance by the end of the film where some will live and some will die. And ultimately you'll walk away with a feeling of satisfaction that you saw something, uh, you know, truly wild. Bullet Train doesn't quite get there. All of these elements are a lot of fun, and I will I will give it credit. It does make for good pacing for the most part. Uh, for the first act of this movie, you're glued to the screen because they're just introducing things. They have these clever title cards that come up with characters that also feel a little ham-fisted. The fact they have to give us title cards for everybody just to be like, you're going to need to know who this character is. Here's their name. Like, and <laughs> look at it for eight seconds. Like, just feels... It just it just feels like they didn't they didn't trust their audience to be smart enough to keep up. But uh, lots of weapons, lots of different train cars, lots of different motives, lots of different characters. Like makes for a lot of good interactions, and that does keep the film moving, keeps you guessing, and you don't know where it's going. The problem is, it's just a little too long. Yeah, they they could have shaved twenty minutes out of this easy, and I think it would have been a little a little better. It it just starts to feel its length by the end. Yeah, absolutely. It just. I think if it would have been 20 minutes shorter, I probably would have been enjoyed it a lot more. Tighten it up. And because it's amazing how length will do that. You could have the same movie and not really improve anything. But if you just shorten it up and make it a, a quicker experience, it'll yeah. be a lot better. Yeah. Um, I should say, you know, before we get quite to recommendations, I did like Bullet Train. Like, I, I, I know I'm, I'm being harsh on the elements that didn't work, but, you know, we do a lot. We review a lot of movies here, all right? We're, we're tough on movies sometimes. I'm sorry. Like, what what is important to understand is that Bullet Train is not quite as good as the films that it's trying to imitate, but it is still fun. And there's not anything quite like it at the cinema right now. You know, it is an action comedy. It's decent. It's got a good budget, decent effects. Uh, some of them are good. Some of them are bad. I told Andy, and we were talking about this last night, there's one knife fight scene where a knife flies through the air and it looks like an After Effects plug-in. Like, it just looks bad. <laughs> just looks bad. Oh, no. And... Pitt doesn't doesn't really work, I think, in what he's doing here. Interestingly enough, I kept thinking of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when I was watching this. Because in that movie, Pitt is all screen presence. My God, you can't look away from the man. Like, he's just wearing a t-shirt and Ray-Bans and smiling a lot. And that's really, you know, and flexing his, his muscles. And that's really all he's doing in that movie. He's, he's kind of a silent protagonist. In this one, he's got so many more lines, but, like, it works so much worse. Um, I think as he gets older, maybe you should just let Brad Pitt kind of do his, you know, have have the gravitas and don't 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 give him too much to chew on because I'm not I'm not sure it works here. Yeah, I don't I don't have a whole lot I more know. to say. I, I'm uh, running out too. All right, well, let's 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 wrap this up. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Bullet Train? I would say save it for streaming. Um, unless you, you're a huge Brad Pitt fan or you haven't been to the movies in a while, which I think is why a lot of people are enjoying it. If you, if you haven't been in a while, uh, it's probably a, a fun time, but if, if you're not super sold on it, save it for streaming, it'll still be a fun time. A lot of people are enjoying it and having a good time at the movies. And it's, you know, it is attempting to be a fun action comedy. It hits on some of those points. It misses on other, 
others, but it, you know, that's all right. Save it for streaming. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. Save for streaming or like a matinee feature. There's not a lot of good stuff coming out in August. We, we Ann and I were just talking about before the show that like it's gonna be a lean couple of weeks on the on the program. We're gonna we're gonna be looking for good stuff to watch because August is when stuff slows down and we're through summer and there's no more Top Gun Mavericks coming out for a few months, at least till we get to Oscar season. So for now, Bullet Train will continue to be in theaters. And if you got nothing to see, yeah, you need something for a date night or I don't know, you want to go burn a couple hours in the movies, yeah, go off. Go see Bullet Train. It's not gonna hurt. I think a B plus is a great score for this movie. Like it's 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 good. It's fine. Like it's not it's not great. It's not bad. Kind of right in the middle. Yeah, I think I think Bullet Train's good. I'll give it I give it a one thumbs up and say watch it on streaming. And it's funny because if it had come to streaming, I think it would be getting better reception. Yeah, because um, it would have felt a bit more grand. But in theaters, it feels like just a little bit less than like you know what it's kind of supposed to be doing. Um, and that's okay. That's not bad. Hey, speaking of, uh, before we move on to our next thing, Andy, I read on IMDb trivia, which is always true. Uh, that Aaron Taylor Johnson did so good in this movie that Sony, after watching a screening of it, reached out to him to play uh, Craven the Hunter in their, I don't know, next who? Spider-Man who? spinoff who? Okay. villain character. You don't know, you don't know who Craven the Hunter is? Okay, I, I don't I don't really either. I figured comic books. I don't know. Like I thought he was, uh, you know. Yeah. Anyway, Aaron Taylor Johnson coming to a screen near you. Uh, our next bit. Uh, a bit. A bit of the show that I'm not even sure really where where to get into talking about this, but let's just get into it. Uh, I'll, in, I'll Andy, go ahead. Yeah, and I was gonna say you want to you want you want to give it to us. Sorry, here I am uh, losing my <laughs> losing my notes. Go ahead. It, it's time for the death of cinema. We're going to be talking, uh, we talked a little bit about this merger of Warner Brothers Discovery and the new uh, streaming app, which will be out next summer. But the really big news that happened lately was uh, the Batgirl movie, which was already nearly complete and was slated to go on HBO Max, has been completely shelved, has been uh, complete. It will not be released. It will not be um, available to see and there's a lot of reasons it has to do with the changing of leadership at HBO or Warner brothers rather. Um, and a lot of people are upset. The, the talent, uh, the directors behind the, the film, uh, other, other directors, other people are saying, man, this is really not, not cool. The film's almost done. They put a hard, a lot of hard work. Why is this happening? So that, that's the status. We're going to be talking about why this is happening. What, what, what it means, what the fallout is. Uh, so Zach, why, why did Batgirl get shelved? First off, um, I'd like to apologize uh, to everybody that worked on Batgirl because uh, that's a bummer. Uh, it's a huge bummer. Uh, I think I think Batgirl was shaping up to be, you know, not great. Like I, I honestly, I bet you could go back and look at old news segments. I'm sure we've talked about Batgirl in the show before, and I probably said it was going to be really lame. But Warner Brothers positioned it as kind of a lame production. Like they 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 want it to be kind of CW esque and cater to that audience. They wanted it to be kind of straight to streaming, but they spent a bunch of money on it because of COVID, which ballooned their cost to $90 million. But that being said, Batgirl was to feature Leslie Grace, a young Latina actress, which was very exciting for a Batman or Batgirl role uh, in, in donning the cowl. We're going to have J.K. Simmons as, J as J James Gordon. We're going to have Brendan Fraser back on the big screen in a minute. Like, finally coming back for a big something to play Firefly. I mean, not not huge, but, like, you know, something like, to play the villain. Like, 
those are pretty exciting roles. Not to mention Michael Keaton was supposed to be in the film. So the idea of shelving a $90 million feature that's going to have all of this star power, it's going to have something to bring people, you know, put, put butts in seats is a bummer. And the reason it seems to have gotten shelled is because of the HBO Max Discovery merger that Warner Brothers has been orchestrating since their sale to Discovery. Uh, the current CEO of Warner Brothers, or the former CEO, is now out. Uh, the new CEO is in, who is Discovery guy. And suddenly, the man who owns Toddlers for Tiaras is deciding that Batgirl is not good enough for people at home. But for what it's worth, uh, for all the things they're taking away from HBO, they are making some interesting changes to DC. And it seems like they're saying all the right things. Uh, why, Andy, you tell me, why did they cut Batgirl? So... It was ninety. First of all, it was super expensive. Ninety million dollars for a streaming movie um, is quite a lot. But there's a number of things uh, to consider. First of all, it wasn't completely done. So, so a lot of people are saying it's done and they just should put it out. It's not done, uh, which means you would have to still pay for post production. So they're saving money by not finishing it on post production. The other thing, they're they're not spending any marketing dollars because usually the marketing for a film is as much as the budget or close to maybe not as much on a streaming service. It's hard to say, but that's more savings by them not having to market the film. Uh, the other thing is it's being used as a, a tax write-off, I guess it's being, you know, they're deducting it from uh, their income and loss uh, statements. And so that's all combined. There's a big value on not releasing the film. And, and David Zasloff is looking to cut. He's been tasked with cutting 3 billion in spending. So this is, part part of how they get there um but a lot of this a lot of people have, have been really upset by it but when when again you got to remember this is a business and when the numbers don't add up uh you know why are we still doing this and he he said something like why are we putting out why are we spending 90 million dollars when a 40 million dollar will do and the other thing is like it's very hard to measure the success of a streaming um, film like are do are do you are you getting more subscribers? Are you keeping more subscribers? It's very very difficult uh, to measure. Uh, and J I actually read something by uh, Jason Blum of uh, Blumhouse fame, who uh, you know said it you know it makes total sense. It, it, you're you're spending way too much money. This is really expensive. It's not you're not getting a lot out of it. It kind of makes sense to cut. If if the movie was a lot cheaper, if it were thirty forty million dollars, it'd be a different different story. But they've already spent a ton, and it also points to just a, a shift in in the strategy. And that's that's been this big thing. He's saying we're shifting strategy completely, not only for Batgirl, but for DC as a whole. Yeah, and I think that shift in strategy is smart for DC. Like they, David Zaslav makes a good point. Um, DC needs a direction right uh twitter's been dunking on dc for years now why, why is ant-man getting a third film in the marvel universe and superman can barely get two or three films together you know what, what's what's going on and like i think new ownership can can ask that question pretty confidently because they don't have anything to owe themselves or people who have gotten us to where they're at, where we are. And they can, they can push movies around like this. Yeah. They can say, Hey, Batgirl's not going to do it for us. That's not going to move us in the direction we want to go. We don't want to do this. They've come out and said, we want to have a 10 year plan for what we're doing with DC. We only want to put out bangers. We don't want to do bad features. We don't want to, we don't want to dilute the brand more than it's already been diluted. And, and I think that's, good right that that that's smart that makes sense what you're saying right there the problem is 
what do you have after this? Because it seems like you've got the Flash, which nobody wants to talk about, <laughs> which which got as, no as attention Miller, at Comic Con. Yeah, like which no Warner Brothers is not touching with a ten foot pole, um, and that's over double the cost of this, right? So I don't know. Ezra Miller is Reverse Flash, like he is, he is Thrawn, uh, the big bad guy. I swear. So one of the big things that's important to point out is is that. HBO or Warner Brothers is getting away from the Snyderverse. For anything that Zack Snyder has done, they don't want to be a part of it. And that's part of Batgirl as well. Like It was going to be a loose continuation of things that have happened previously in the Snyderverse. And they don't want to continue that. They they essentially are looking to reset uh, in some ways or kind of retcon, which is what comic books often do, is they'll, they'll keep the things that work and they'll get rid of everything that didn't every time they kind of do a reboot. Um, so I think that's probably what's going to happen here. But another big kind of thing that came out of this is uh, the Zack Snyder Justice League is not part. It's not part of the official story. It's not canon, as as they like to say. Like the the 2017 Justice League that Joss Whedon directed, that is the official entry. And again, they're getting away from anything Snyderverse, and Batgirl is part of that. And it's so strange too, because I don't know what the direction is next. But as far as I know. They're probably not going to be continuing much down the Snyder path, like you just said. So the idea of maybe leaving those characters behind and building something new and different is exciting. That was part of the theory behind the new Flash movie is to dig into Flashpoint and get into alternate timelines. And we can start to go in different directions. Hence, having Michael Keaton back as Batman, right? Like that introduces that possibility by having the Flash jump through time. While being in universe, it's like the it's like the Marvel multiverse, right? Made manifest in the DC universe for them to go in a new bold direction. Maybe they'll still do that. Have we considered the fact that maybe the Flash movie is absolute fire? Like that, you Warner Brothers can't get rid of it because it's so good. Maybe that's what's going on. But what we do know is, it just seems like they don't <laughs> know exactly where they're going next. That's what we know. Ezra Miller and, and, is going to torpedo that movie. <laughs> God, Ezra Miller is, is, yeah, bound and determined to just, like, tank it. I, it's ridiculous. But uh, in the meantime, movies like Batgirl and Scoob Holiday Haunt are getting canned. Uh, they've also moved some smaller films around on HBO Max. Uh, they've taken off some direct-to-HBO films like uh, Moonshot and an American Pickle, the Seth Rogen movie that we reviewed here. Lockdown got pulled from HBO Max. And they said, yeah, we're probably just going to sell those to, you know, other streaming services like Netflix and they can run them. Um, we just want to make some money off them. And that's not a bad idea. Those properties will all get get play on the front page of Netflix for a week, like more than they'll get on HBO right now. That's for sure. Um, but it dilutes the brand. Right. Um, I, I saw that uh, HBO is going to be putting cha- a channel back on Amazon Prime so you can get HBO stuff over there. Uh, they took that off a couple of years ago because they wanted everybody to come straight to HBO Max. They didn't want to dilute their brand. And now, like with this kind of introduction of Discovery, it seems like HBO is going to be getting a bit watered down. And um, the problem is the people who pay 15 bucks a month for HBO don't don't want it to be watered down. We want that strong drink. We want that bold cinema. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, again, this is a shift in, in their strategy for DC, but... Yeah, the streaming service as well. They're they're definitely going to focus on their theatrical releases, and that's the other thing is, whilst DC has been really hit and miss, they've had some huge hits. Aquaman, their most profitable property, somehow that that's still mind blowing to me. Yeah. And they've had other other duds. They've had other films underperform. So 
but they know that the potential is there to have billion dollar prof films after billion dollar films so they're not going to put out anything less than than that and this this could even affect the new things that are coming out um black adam shazam there's a third one of uh, the flash sure. probably uh these i mean they could change dates they could do some reshoots uh who knows but it also means the service is as well they they've cut a number of films uh there was a wonder twins film that that was supposed to be made the blue Be- beetle movie is still going to be made because it's going to be a theatrical re- release um but i mean everything is on the chopping block over at hbo yeah and i think you know us, us hbo fans are nervous as we rightly should be we take some comfort in knowing that the brand has survived for a long time. I don't think it's going anywhere. Uh, I, I've, I've heard rumors that they're just going to axe the HBO name and Discovery and roll it all into one new thing, which, God, I, I think that would be a horrible mistake. HBO is brand recognition, right? It's not TV. It's HBO. Um, but I don't know. Uh, we, we don't know what the future holds. Uh, what we do know is it doesn't seem like we're going to be seeing Batgirl for a while. It's weird. I just keep thinking I'll see an announcement like, oh, yeah, they're going to put on HBO next summer or something. Or, oh, yeah, after they get through this thing, they'll they'll publish it. But, like, no, for all intents and purposes, it seems like this movie is just never going to leave somebody's hard drive. Like, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> it's just gonna sit in the editing bay forever, you know? It's like uh, it's like a bill trying to get to the Senate. Just doesn't go anywhere. Yep. What a bummer. Any other thoughts on this, Andy? I know we're gonna move on to Prey. I just... Uh... Uh, we'll we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what this DC strategy is moving forward, and what projects get greenlit, which ones don't, which ones go on the chopping block. Not a whole lot has really been announced past what we know is coming out. Uh, the Flash movie being the farthest part of that, but uh, I mean, everyone over there is nervous that uh, that any property. Um, I mean, I was listening in to a, a Westworld podcast and they were saying, you know, if this season of television isn't well received, there may not be another season of it. Yeah, um, everything's on the chopping block. You're absolutely right. If it's not fire, uh, it's probably getting axed at HBO. And that's, you know, good and bad. Yeah, there's pros and cons of that strategy. Um, I, I don't love it, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what shakes out. HBO is a big hub for film. Seems like something we got to talk about here on Offscript. Keep it here on Offscript for more about HBO and Discovery Max and whatever's going on with this whole thing. And lastly, we should move on to our final film of the episode. Andy's taking the summary on this one. Uh, So Andy, please uh, take it away. Pray. Why do you want to hunt? Because you all think that I can't. So this is yet another entry in the long-storied Predator franchise, uh, which originally started in 1987, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and a bunch of other <laughs> macho, macho men. Uh, in this entry, we go back in time. We don't travel back in time, but we're back in time in the 16th, 17th century in uh, North America, and we meet this native tribe of Comanches. Uh, we meet our main character named Naru, uh, played by Amber Midthunder, who is the main the main character, and uh, she is someone who she, she can fight alongside the boys, but she's not really ac- accepted a- as a warrior, and uh, she also has some other skills in medicine. Um, and one day they, they're out fighting, and something... Some, there's something in the woods that they, they think it's a bear, they think it's a mountain lion, but she has seen it and she knows better. She said, no, there's something out there that killed the bear, that killed the lion, that, and, and is, of course, the titular predator uh, of the series. So she must go on a quest to fight this thing, survive, defend her village, and also def- defend it from the encroaching Europeans, which are also in this movie. 
Um, and so that's that's our our setup. It's a lot of fun, uh, a lot of good action, a big surprise, I think, in a lot of ways. Zach, what'd you think? Uh, Prey retreads, uh, I think, everything cool that works about the first Predator movie uh, in a different setting uh, with a different set of characters that I think is almost just as exciting uh, as the original. It's very good. I like the flip on the format. Uh, I wish it had come to theaters and that it had been a little bit longer and a little bit grander in scale because it's pretty good. It's got good pacing, keeps you interested. I, I didn't have my phone out much at all watching this movie. I was really tuned in to what was going on. I, just, I say that. Hold on. Quick pro. I don't often have my phone out during movies. But you know, when you're watching a movie at home, often you can feel like, you know, you can, you can lay, take it easy a little bit. You can do laundry and watch this movie. And this one was not that way. Like, Prey is doing something different. I'm surprised at how good it was. It is a David and Goliath sort of story with just enough difference from the original to make it exciting again. Uh, I like Prey a lot. I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, where do you want to jump in? Well, why don't we jump in with our cast? So one of the, the interesting things is this is an all-Indigenous uh, cast, of course, except the uh, Europeans. Um, but, and they, they think it's the first movie to be entirely dubbed in Comanche, uh, which is, you know, really, uh, that's a really important thing uh, for representation. Uh, the, some other important characters are, uh, uh, Tabe, which is her brother played by a person named Dakota Beavers, Puhi. I'm trying to think of, these are kind of the, the main, uh, other, uh, indigenous people in, in mm. the film, but, but they, they all do uh, just a really good job. The makeup is, is amazing. Like they're kind of unrecognizable because they all have kind of warrior paint on uh, yeah. during a lot of this. The only thing that kind of takes me out is that they they switch like they speak some Comanche, but they also speak like perfect English, and uh, kind of took me out of it. I I wish they had either done it all in Comanche or maybe had accents or something. But uh, but still, their performances are are really good. Uh, again, Amber Midthunder uh, is kind of has to hold up the movie mostly on her own through through her action and she's got to do a lot of action she's got to you know work with the ensemble cast she's got to fight the predator and the Euro the europeans a lot going on but uh it's really fun and it just it, it feels so authentic like they shot out in the woods they went outside yes. you're, you're not yes. on a on a green screen stage yeah uh, i'm mentioning uh Tomb Raider at the beginning of the episode is fitting because watching this movie reminded me of how I felt when I watched Tomb Raider because a lot of Tomb Raider is supposed to be on this like island off the off the Atlantic like out in the middle of nowhere it's like it's like south of Africa or something and like it 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 feels like you're on a green screen set the whole time like like it barely ever feels like you're actually out in the woods when you are it's like you shot this on you shot this behind the studio didn't you you just wheeled the cameras out of the parking lot you're like yeah the actors stand on that hill this is like you actually went out to freaking montana like it feels like you got giant imax lenses and you shot these huge landscapes with big open skies like and you really brought in the feeling of nature to these characters who are obviously so dedicated to it. Like this tribe feels really fantastic and you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the completely normal English is really distracting. I made it, I think six minutes in this movie before I ducked out and went and found the Comanche dub, which is on Hulu. You got to search for it. You got to search, search pray Comanche dub, but it's on there. It's a different, different viewing of the film and it's the film dubbed entirely in Comanche much better. Like would would recommend it's it, the the you know the their, their their mouths don't match the language but it's like watching any other foreign language film right you just focus on the subtitles and move right past it in a beautiful language for this film by the way uh, I would would recommend the Comanche Tub. What I like about Prey 
besides the fact that it's a lot like the original Predator, but in a different way, is that Prey uh, follows the one seminal rule of any good horror movie. It totally works as a movie without the Predator. Uh, our, our story of our, of our young lead, Naru? Naru? Naru. Uh, she is struggling to basically fit in at her tribe, and she wants to be a hunter. And her mom is like, why are you out there hunting? Like we, we we need women folk here to make medicine and make food. Like that's what we're doing, right? You're you're a gatherer, not a hunter. Like you should be here making helping me take care of the chief and being being a nice little, you know, it's fine. And her brother, who's like star hunter of of the tribe, is like, Why are you out here? Like you're just gonna get yourself hurt. You're never gonna be as good as me. There's a great scene where she she's like, Why why don't you let me come out and prove myself? He's like, You can't. And she's like, why? Because I, because I'm, you know, because I'm a girl. What? Because you don't think I'm tough. And he's like, no, you literally can't, and you'll never be able to because you're bad. Like, and it's like really heartfelt and mean, and like it, it feels really like she's so dedicated to being able to prove herself, and she sees this vision in the sky, which she says is the Thunderbird, which really is Predator's ship, and it gives her like all of this purpose to go out in the woods on her own and 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 find this thing and like like have her her trial as they call it and prove herself and then it turns out the thing she finds is the predator that's what makes this movie work <laughs> the predator is almost secondary she could be hunting like a crazy mountain lion and it would still be a pretty good movie like the fact that the predator is the thing like just adds a layer to it and that's what the original Predator does. Like these guys are out in the out in the woods in Vietnam trying to save somebody, and then the Predator shows up. Like there's a whole plot. Alien does this really well. Space Truckers, the Thing does this really well. Like it's a really bit of it's a really clever bit of scripting. Like to make the movie work on its own as an independent film without the Predator, and that makes us better set up for our characters to become the prey, which is good stuff. Uh, I do want to talk about like the Predator in this movie. Because I do, I have seen a few of those Predator movies, but Andy, uh, I don't know, you want to jump in there? What, what, what do you think on next? Yeah, so one of the things that the movie does really well is we don't see the Predator for quite a long time, and we and we slowly see more and more. It's the Jaws thing, you know. You slowly see more and more of the the monster, and until you you finally, in like halfway through or towards the third act, you finally get a really good uh, glimpse of it. Uh, he's got this really cool bone helmet. Uh, thing that that's I, I think a pretty cool uh addition and it's you know it's it's the predator it it kills it kills everything you can't kill it you can't outsmart it you can't outfight it right uh, but somehow that you know that that's what always happens uh in these in these movies so you you get a lot of slaughter and gore on on your way to uh fighting this thing yeah predator is a cool movie monster because it is fundamentally almost like a human hunter but more advanced uh moves you know is is bipedal and has a ton of like wild gadgets that will mess up anything that gets in its path and that's what makes the predator cool right lots lots of gadgets it's got a net that it shoots and when it lands on something it screws in the the netting and, and just disintegrates whatever's in it it's got laser beam missile stuff it's got instant camo it's got a shield that can bounce anything back like all kinds of stuff coming out of the predator right Gl- glowing green blood like it, it lots of cool things that are happening with the predator and this is all important because it 
pits our characters who have no idea of any technology against something that is like truly unknown. I love the way the characters call it like the monster. Like they don't really know what it is, right? We have an idea. It's the predator, of course, but uh, I do wish it had been a little bit more shrouded in mystery. I know it's a predator movie, right? Like everybody watching it, everybody clicks in the thumbnail is going to know it's a predator movie. Like I got it, but uh, it does. I don't know. One of the things I really liked about the original Predator was how crappy the effects are. Those those old camo effects do not look good nowadays. They they look bad. But because they were limited in what they could do, they didn't show a lot. This one leans on CGI a bit more. It feels a little phony, but it's a straight streaming film, right? And like you got to forgive it for that. If anything, I can forgive it for its runtime. This is like a hundred minutes, nice and yeah. tight, baby. <laughs> this this movie gets in and gets out, and I love it. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Again, what I was saying before, the length of, of the film really help helps it be more enjoyable because at the end of the day, the, the Predator premise isn't super deep or complicated. Um, so it's fun, but just for a while. You can't do it too long. And this movie is really efficient in, you know, it's 100 minutes. So you're in, you're out, you're going through, you know, the different story beats really well and smoothly and it just makes it so much more enjoyable as opposed to again something like bullet train or the gray man or these movies that are just like overly long because if you're gonna have an action movie that's two hours long you probably need to have a lot of downtime you know to develop character and and things like that um and if but if you don't it's just uh it just kind of drags but this this totally doesn't do that it's very efficient and makes it very much more enjoyable yeah, it, it works much more effectively than the previous Predator film, which was, I think, The Predator. Yeah. Right? Or was that? Yeah, Bomb. Predators was in 2010. Yeah, The Predator. Shane Black film. Shane Black, who was in the original Predator and has made great films like The Nice Guys, like total miss, total flop. My God. <laughs> that, that's part of the reason that really this didn't act- actually get a theatrical release is if you look at the history of Predator films, only like two of them have been successful in theatrical releases. A lot of them have been bombs. So that was part of the decision for Disney to uh, put this on on Hulu. Um, and I think that was a smart choice. And yeah, it would have been nice to see a theatrical release. But uh, I mean, it's a great release for their streaming service. Yeah, I, I, I praise a lot of fun. It's a tremendous release for uh, like Native American cultures. Yeah, like a nearly entirely indigenous cast is huge. And the, and they're good in it too. Amber Midthunder, Dakota Beavers are great. It's like this brother-sister combo. Like they're both really heartfelt and thoughtful. Um, even in the dub, they're tremendous. Like, yeah, it, it's a ton of fun. I, I really enjoyed Prey. I did go in a little overhyped, a little more than I should have been because I waited a few days to watch it and early reviews were like very positive. People were like, this is a sleeper. Like, this is yeah, this is really good. It's okay. It, it is very good, but it's not, you know, this movie's not going to blow out Best Picture or anything. It is a straight to streaming film, but like, it's a straight to streaming film done well. And we see yeah. so many done poorly that it's really a nice change when one comes out that's like worth your time and is good. And, and I'm excited to say that Prey, I think, is both of those things. Uh, any other thoughts or recommendations, Andy? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Prey? Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of fun. It's a really well done Predator film, especially if you're a fan of the series. It's definitely going to be a highlight. And if you're new to it, I think you're going to enjoy it uh, as well. It, it has, you know, it's, it's a landmark for, uh, you know, representation. Uh, you have a female prota- protagonist. It's the first time the series has ever had a female protagonist. Um, it's a lot of fun. It, like I said, they actually shot outside in the woods. Yeah. Uh, so it's nice to, to, you know, have real sets and be outside and on, on green screen. 
I really enjoyed it. 100 minutes, in and out. Highly recommend. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Uh, this movie's good. I think they should na- make the next Predator movie similar in this vein. Honestly, I don't know how far you can run on this gimmick of the same setting as the fr- like the same idea as the first movie and this one, just in a different time. You can make one of these in feudal Japan and have a Predator show up. You can make one during the freaking Civil War if you wanted. Like you could, you could do anything here, and it would probably work great. <laughs> like, so it's a simple formula. You make a movie that's already good, and then you drop Predator in the middle of it, and there you go. You got something and i think prey does it great dan trachtenberg has done a tremendous job here uh yeah go watch prey w- worth your time already on streaming if you got a hulu go check it out i, I think prey is good stuff and speaking of good stuff uh next week is looking like a lopsided sort of week if a24's new feature turns out to be as good as we're all hoping andy what are we watching the A24 feature, Bodies, 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 which is the uh, horror comedy. Uh, I'm not going to say starring Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson is in it, uh, but it's about a group of friends away at a, at a big house and uh, having fun, partying up. Uh, but someone turns up dead, and it's uh, everyone's just trying to survive uh, past that. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, that comes out uh, this week in theaters um, wide. And we're also going to be checking out 13 Lives, which is on Amazon Prime. And this is the story of the uh, Thai soccer team that was trapped in the caves in uh, Chile, I believe, several years ago. Yes. Uh, this is all over the news where and all the all the where all the children were, were rescued. Um, but it was still a very dangerous and harrowing uh, rescue. And so that's coming out. That also stars uh, Vigo Mort- Mortensen and uh, Colin, Farrell Colin Farrell and Joel Edgerton. And this was Joel directed by Ron Edgerton. Howard. Uh, I'm, I think I'm excited about Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I just saw a bullet train last night with a buddy and uh, the Bodies, Bodies, Bodies trailer came on. The full trailer, not just the teaser. And he had never seen it. I said, hey, have you seen this? He said, no. I said, well, I got to watch this for the podcast next, me- next week. Maybe we should get together and watch it. He's like, all right, cool. And after the trailer's over, he was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I was like, well, you're not excited? He was like, it looks all right. And I'm like, it does. Like, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies looks all right. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's got pretty good advertising. I, I hope it has a little bit of something I'm not seeing on screen. Because right now it just looks a bit like a, you know, a whodunit. But the, the early teasers had a lot more like comedy and they were a bit more biting. And I think that will be the stuff that works. Uh, as for 13 Lives, you know, I, I, normally I, would, I remember when this trailer came out. Normally I'd write this off like, OK, it's 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 an Am- direct to Amazon Prime streaming film about uh, an incident that happened just a few years ago. It was obviously tragic. Um, but then it turns out it's a Ron Howard movie. Right. And it stars Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell and Joel Edgerton who are all great names. And it's like, well, suddenly I feel like we should, we have to watch this. It's slow in theaters. Not a lot going on right now. I think disappointment disappoints me. It's 13 lives is two and a half hours long. The whole movie's in the trailer. We all know what's going to happen. <laughs> Why is it I'm two looking and a half forward hours? to it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm wrong. Enjoy, I just I'm enjoy it more than I did bullet train or the gray man. It's going to have the old problem. For the first 45 minutes is going to be set up and I'm going to be like, we all know. <laughs> Get to get to the kids in the cave. Why does it take two and a half hours? But we'll see. I mean, maybe there's more. To, maybe it's got long credits. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, I'm hopeful. It is a Ron Howard movie, right? How bad could it be? Like, come on. Like, it's he's great. He makes really good movies. Uh, and that's uh, I don't know. That's our show this week. That's episode 185 of Off Script. Coming up on 200, Andy. It's gonna happen sooner rather than later. Someday. 
in the meantime, if you enjoyed what we were doing on the show today, if you like what we have to say, if you got thoughts on who the new Tomb Raider should be or any concerns about this HBO Max Discovery Plus merger, uh, email us at mail at oscarfilmreview.com. Check out our website, oscarfilmreview.com, for more of what we do, live interviews, uh, correspondence, all that good stuff. You can follow us on Facebook, where we live stream the show every Tuesday, including right now, which you might just be re-watching. Uh, you might also be re-watching our replays on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, where we post all our stuff. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, and we're on all the usual podcast outlets, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartMedia. But if you want to help us out, if you want to do anything for your boys off script just to tell us how much you enjoy the show the biggest thing you could do is just subscribe to subscribe to get new episodes of off script delivered straight to you every single tuesday when we do them you can also leave a rating and review that's super helpful as well and i think that is all of my shtick andy any other thoughts i guess i think that's i think that's the end of the show yep i think that's just the end, of the, show. the end of the show there's some there's some uh i just want to mention a couple of upcoming things uh this month oh yeah uh beast uh which is the idris elba uh movie where he's in africa with his daughters and there's lions and they're trying to survive uh, that comes out august 19th and then george miller's next big project three thousand years of longing uh comes out in theaters august 26th and that movie looks really bizarre but we're definitely going to see it for the show idris elba sneaking two movies in like a week out in theaters that's uh, true who'd have thought yeah he's also in uh, 3,000 Years of Longing. Uh, but that is Off Script, episode 185. Uh, thanks for listening, guys, from all of us at Off Script, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.